Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're sitting with Drew Hamilton and Aaron Rainey. And Hello. it's kind of a catch-up episode, right? Tell us where we're at. One of you guys. Well, right now we are at my house <laughs> in Anchorage, Alaska. You know, we've, we've, we've met all these people. We've been doing all this conservation work digitally since this pandemic's been going on. So this is really the first time we've all been uh, cleared. You know, we've all had our negative tests and isolated and been wearing masks and all this. So this is really the first time we've been able to safely get together and Still sit a distance. Still, still sit <laughs> a distance. I don't want to be that close apart. to you guys. <laughs> I understand. I get that a lot. But, uh, so, no, we've just been uh, working on conservation work, fighting the pebble mine, and, and we've finally all met up in space and time. So it's great to be able to get together and talk. Yeah, it's and I meet in person, right? I met you in person just <laughs> first time the other night. And then now this I'm is our first Aaron time, the yeah. first time. So it's cool. So, Aaron, where have you been up to? So I was in Bristol Bay. I was commercial fishing, so I have a set net site in the Igigik district. And yeah, just spent the last six weeks fishing. So how does that work? Are you done fishing now or are I'm you done. Okay. Yep. So it's it's just six weeks, you know, four weeks to six weeks and it hits hard. <laughs> we had 50, over fifty five million salmon come in within that six weeks and then yeah, then it's done. So how many of those did you catch? That's, I, fishermen never tells, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I've caught a lot more than people next to <laughs> I'm just kidding. Everyone did great. <laughs> so is that a good amount, 55 million, or is that high, low? Yeah, that's high. That so the average is somewhere around 39 million sockeye sal or salmon a year for Bristol Bay run. So 55 million is really good, and it's it's been high the last five years. Like, it's it's been a solid run. So it's really nice to see it. You know, maintaining this healthy look and being so high, we've had record-breaking years this last five years. That's awesome. Yeah. Drew, what have you been up to? I have been pretty much nonstop pebble mine, fighting pebble <laughs> mine uh, since we last talked. I think last time we talked might have been, I might have been the last show before the pandemic hit. And so I think I even had plans to go out to Washington, D.C. and <laughs> lobby senators and do all this stuff and then locked down and it's been actually busier since the pandemic hit than I think it would have been if I was doing my normal we canceled all of our bear viewing trips this year which is normally what I'd be doing but we have gotten out a few times to to see some bears and, and create a uh, a media piece that Aaron and I got to go out and uh, work on earlier this year <laughs> and we're going to do another one here in a couple days so it's it's really exciting but we just had a, a big music festival yesterday, Salmon Fest, which was a, a raging success, raised thousands and thousands of dollars for United Tribes of Bristol Bay to be able to fight the pebble mine. And uh, But yeah, it's been a lot of uh, Zoom meetings and not quite enough nature. Well, but it's good for the for the bears, right? Long have you have all this run. time. <laughs> yeah. It's been good to get the word out about the bears. I think a lot of people know these bears, but they don't realize that they know these bears. So if you've watched any wildlife documentary or, you know, Disney nature bears, these are the bears that we're talking about. And it's been good to kind of give people that connection, I think. And Drew's been doing a really good job doing that the past, the past few months. Yeah, it is. Uh, and that was a, something that kind of clicked after we talked last time was – you know, Alaska's got a lot of bears and people, I mean, I think when people hear Alaska, bears are one of the first things they 
conjure. And they're doing that because they saw the Disney Bears movie or they saw the Great Bears Stakeout or they saw some viral video. Or Brooks uh, Falls. Or I've Brooks the Explore.org webcam. Yep, or that Brooks Falls photo where the bear's trying to catch the salmon on the waterfall. Yeah. And so whether they know it or not, I think, you know, they're conjuring bears when they hear Alaska. But more specifically, they're conjuring these Alaska Peninsula bears. And those are the specific bears that we are trying to save. And, uh, you know, the Pebble Mine... Yeah, maybe we should. There are probably some people listening who haven't. Who haven't heard of the yeah, line. Yeah, let's do that. Let's like. We haven't back knocked up. on your door yet, <laughs> digitally. So the we were talking about Bristol Bay, and it's it's the last intact sockeye salmon run in the world, and it's it's unique. Um, it's unique because it's the last. And you think about they used to have fish runs like that on the Sacramento River, and basically all the run all the rivers, big rivers between the Sacramento River and Bristol Bay had these just epic, epic tens of millions of fish coming back fish runs and they've gradually been whittled away and you know so they don't exist they might have a you know just a little run but there's nothing that exists in its natural state like bristol bay well and it's it's important to note too that places especially down in the lower 48 are spending millions of dollars trying to bring back these salmon runs that they've essentially destroyed so it's people want salmon because it feeds an ecosystem they're really important but they've lost them and they don't come back easily. And trying to bring them back is a seriously it's involved and, and expensive it's hard process, and it's right? Complex. It's tearing down <laughs> dams. It's building all new structures in Closing these rivers. Fisheries. It's yeah. Well, and so Bristol Bay is the crown jewel of of salmon fisheries in the world. And for about twenty years now, there's been this fight raging to whether or not people should be allowed. A Canadian company should be allowed to come in and put uh, a mine at the headwaters of this highly productive fishery. And the mine itself, it's, it's the largest copper deposit in the world. It's very low grade ore, so they'd have to big a, dig a big old hole. <laughs> big a dig. <laughs> they'd have to big a dig old hole. Uh, yes, so a big hole in the ground. Right. Right at the headwaters of this, this fishery. And it's, it's an area where there's a lot of water, obviously for all those fish. But the actual act of digging the hole produces sulfuric acid. So it would, it would produce this huge vat of toxic sludge that would have to be maintained in perpetuity that would be right at the headwaters of this fishery. And if something were to go wrong, it would just be catastrophic. And so um, under the previous administration, the Environmental Protection Agency actually shut this down. They went in at the request of the tribes and said they did a very good analysis um, it was over several science. years. Several years, yeah. It wasn't like they just said, okay, whatever. They, they looked at it long and hard and said that no mine could really exist there and not harm the fishery. And so fast forward to a couple years ago when Scott Pruitt came in um, to <laughs> have a meeting with the, uh, uh, the Pebble Limited Partnership, the people that want to put this in. And they basically said, well, we don't even need to look at that science anymore. And so they, they quick threw together this mine plan where they would mine. They would put this big road corridor. They'd put an industrial shipping port, a power plant, all right in the middle of the habitat. I mean, this is, this is the best fish habitat. And by extension, it's the best bear habitat in the world. And so this new phase of the mine threatens not just the fishery, but it threatens the bear viewing industry in Alaska. And that's where I really got involved as a bear viewing guide and the president of Friends of McNeil River. Like, this is, 
this is how I make my money. You make your money from the fish side of things. Yeah. I make my money <laughs> from the bear side <laughs> of things. We're coming at two different angles. Right? And it's two of many. So there's so many different people that rely on Bristol Bay, rely on the salmon. It's not just commercial fishing. It's not just bear guiding. But these are two components that need to be talked about. Well, and the cultural component. I mean, there there are Alaska natives who have been living out there uh, subsisting off these fish for tens of thousands of years. And so, I mean, that's another important piece of the pie. Like, there is, there is no... There is nothing that indicates, yeah, we should put a mine here. No, nothing. <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense at all. And so basically what, what's happened since we last spoke is the, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers it was doing their environmental uh, impact statement. And so lots of folks commented either digitally or in person. And the, <laughs> the Army Corps of Engineers has been busy um, brushing aside these huge red flags. I, I picture them like just wading through <laughs> these red flags and say, ah, we don't need that. Oh, we don't need that. And so they've produced their final environmental impact statement that came out, uh, I think a week ago or so. And right now, uh, we're in this kind of narrow window where, so, oh, so the environmental impact statement came out and it's horrible. I mean, it doesn't it's address, uh, it doesn't address threats to bears. It doesn't a threat. It, it's, it's ridiculous. This whole project is so big that, it technically should be three envir environmental impact statements. You've got the mine itself, you've got the road corridor, and you've got the port in, these wilder in this wilderness area. And so instead of looking at it from that aspect, they said, in the name of efficiency, we're going to scrunch down all the time. Public comments were dramatically shortened. Uh, cooperating agency comment periods were shortened in the middle of a pandemic. Yep. The, the native groups were asking for more time. Because like, they were focusing on keeping the pandemic, especially out of the native villages, during a commercial fishing season coming in. So you have an influx of people coming in. They have to worry about that. They have to get prepared for that. And while they're worrying and trying to prepare for that, Pebble's shoving something through the door behind them. So there, it, it was a rushed process in a really horrible time where people had a lot more to worry about. And then... On top of that, 90% of the way through the whole project, they changed the route. <laughs> they changed their plan. So everybody commented, all the cooperating agencies, all the tribes, all the general public, and they changed it. Said, oh, well, by the way, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're going to do this. And it's completely different. And they, did not ex they didn't offer any new comments, nothing. They said, oh, we, we know what we need to know already to do this. And so... They released this horrible document, and so right now we're in a window where this document is out. The lawyers are frantically looking it over and, and doing all this stuff, and we have a time where we can actually contact the Environmental Protection Agency, um, Senators uh, Murkowski and Sullivan from here in Alaska, and let them know that this document is inadequate. Like it ignores all the science. It ignores all the public, com not all of them, but a lot of the public comments that, that were made, the important ones. And so um, we've basically just been trying <laughs> frantically for the last two weeks trying to get the word out to let people know that now is a time to take action. It's kind of, yeah. yeah. It's and I think it's, it's, it's interesting to point out, too, that people are starting to speak up against it. And they're from both sides of Republicans and Democrats. This isn't just a one-sided issue. This is people from both backgrounds are seeing that this is a negative thing. So this isn't just, you know, one side against the other. These are people from all different, like making livings, all different ways saying that, no, this isn't enough. And there's people from mining companies that are speaking out and saying this is not the place for it. And they're not against mines. They're just saying this is not an acceptable place to have a mine. 
Yeah, that's been really interesting. There, there is a, <laughs> a, a mining executive from Rio Tinto, which is one of the biggest mining companies in the world, that is basically, I think he almost sees it as a detriment to future things that, that other mining companies want to do. If, if Pebble is going out and doing this poor, poor job, that reflects poorly on their whole industry. And so I think that's kind of where he's coming from. If you guys are this bad at this, yeah. it makes me look bad, so knock it off. <laughs> is how I'm reading. And that. how does that get taken with that perception out there? Is it, what is going on? Depends with that? who you talk to. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it really depends who you talk to. Um, a massive portion of Alaskans are against the mine. This isn't something that a lot of Alaskans are for. And then you look at the Bristol Bay region, um, and most of that population, too, is against this mine. I think they just came out with uh, the latest poll was 75% of Bristol Bay residents who are the people that would be you know, most impacted by this. 75% of them were opposed. And statewide, it was 62%. And so <laughs> like any, any politician, <laughs> you think those numbers would just be, you know, if you're looking at re-election, all you got to do is just say, hey, no pebble mine. And people will say, okay, thank you. Finally, and, something. And the people in, in Bristol Bay, United Tribes of Bristol Bay has been doing an amazing job getting the word out and trying to tell people that they don't want it there, like that their communities don't want it there. So, yeah, there's a lot of push against it. There's a lot of different groups coming together saying that this isn't okay and we don't want this. But we, as this coalition, this bipartisan coalition of... of natives and fishermen and bear viewers and i'm gonna throw the bears in there themselves it's always good to have a yeah, grizzly bears. bear too on your side <laughs> uh, we're, we're running into uh this political wall basically you're running into uh, folks that have been installed at the epa and it's 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 a it's a corrupt system that is not designed it's designed to say, oh, how should we build this? Not they, Nobody takes the time to stop and say, should we build this? And it's, it's a disconnect. And, and as we start to, we're going to see more and more of these projects uh, pop up. And we need to do something to either, this needs to be a place to draw our line in the sand. Yep. Or, or things like this are going to start slipping through the cracks. And, and our permit system that is designed to facilitate mega projects and things like that is going to start working against us. Well, and it's, it's amazing. If you look at the EIS report, um, there it's very casual almost in there where it says over 180 miles of stream will be permanently destroyed. Like they just toss it out. Like it's just a number and you actually have to visualize how much is 180 miles of stream. And then you think about an ecosystem like salmon. There are so many different components of the salmon life cycle that depend on different parts of the watershed. And you're, you're just casually destroying acres of a prime habitat. How long is the Kenai River? Like 72 miles? I mean, that's the world-famous Kenai River yeah. on the Kenai Peninsula in Alaska. It's 72 miles long, so it's basically destroying. <laughs> yeah. Help me with the math. Is it two, it's two, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> two Kenai Rivers worth of right, uh, right. worth of. Habitat. Well, and, and then lobbying has increased significantly during this time from Pebble to to politicians. So that's another thing to look at. They've just been shoving money at politicians right now in different groups. Well, I get, you know, we get a lot of fantastic comments and people are always contacting me and saying, follow the money, follow the money. And so we, <laughs> our coalition, we, we took the, took that, that advice and, um, so created a website called, uh, it's, it's cashgrabcollier.com. <laughs> 
and so Tom Collier is the CEO of the Pebble Limited Partnership, and he stands to get a $12.5 million bonus if this uh, first permit gets approved, which is within a month of, of getting approved. And so it just looks at the bonus structure and things like that. And so if you're following the money, it boils down to this one highly politically connected person is doing all this shady stuff behind the scenes to to get his $12 million bonus. Well, and then they offered a small amount of money to the to the tribes in Bristol Bay. And it was it was minuscule compared to what Tom Coyer's getting on his own. It was over X many years. So they don't care. <laughs> it, Tom Coyer has his own agenda. Well, let's back up a little bit. Go back to how this plan changed. Because everybody's, what you said was like 90% through. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know what? Let's do this a little differently. And that's pretty significant, right? It is. It is. So originally, and if you'll be a good excuse to go back and listen to my previous Wild <laughs> Exposed podcast so you can get the, 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 the backstory. So originally they were talking about, so the mine site is in western Alaska on the north side of Lake Iliamna. And to get the ore out, they were talking about mining it, trucking it down to the lake, using ice-breaking ferries to ferry it across, and then put a road right through the bear hat that would go right next to the McNeil River State Game Sanctuary, which is home to the largest congregation of brown bears anywhere on earth. And then loading it on ships or barges to take it out into the Gulf of Alaska, like deadliest catch style waters, and then transferring it to ships. And I mean, everybody agreed that's horrible. And so they said, well, there's this northern route we would do, where they switch to. And so what they've done is they've basically taken all the problems from the southern route and moved them to the northern route. So it's the same problems just in a different place and it doesn't have the ice breaking ferry so now what they would do is they would mine the ore put it on trucks take it across the north end of lake iliamna north side of lake iliamna across native lands uh who have not and will not (laughs) give permission uh to to go across which brings up some interesting eminent domain questions and and things like that and then they would put their port, their industrial port, uh, it's about 11 miles from the southern boundary of Lake Clark National Park, which is a hugely popular bear viewing destination. Uh, probably, uh, like, Chinana Bay gets a ton of people it's, these it, days. Like it's, yeah, you go into Chinana Bay and it's plane after plane coming to see bears. Yeah. And, and so they're swapping out. I Basically, in my mind, they're swapping out their impacts to McNeil River to Lake Clark National Park. Like you can just, in, in, the, in the impact, you can almost sub them out and say, oh, this is what it would do to McNeil River. Well, this is what it would do the exact same thing to Lake Clark National Park, which is even more economically important to Alaska. And it's, it's hard to visualize how spectacular these places are. I think if you have a chance, go look up Jason Ching's salmon photography to see Lake Iliamna. It is some of the most beautiful work I've seen, and it's a gorgeous, clear lake. You What's know. his Instagram handle? I think it's at Jason S. Ching. Okay. Yeah. And then and then go take a look at where the bears are. Go take a look at Chinitna Bay and those areas and, and Lake Clark National Park and kind of get that visual of it's it's really unreal. These wild places don't exist really anymore, and yet we still have some that we could protect. Right. It would be really great if somebody would go out and make a maybe a short five to nine minute film that would show people mm-hmm. what these places. 
Why are you, you ever at thought me? about doing that? <laughs> <laughs> I have thought about that. I thought about trying to get Jason Ching on camera and telling <laughs> telling about his connection to salmon because those pictures, I mean, they've become the face of Bristol Bay, and you see them, and I mean, it's just these aerials of thousands and thousands of fish swimming around, and you're like, how could you even want to to do anything in that area? How how could you want to put you know toxins even close by? Because it's just it's incredible. Well, I was trying to throw a softball up for our <laughs> for our uh, for our film we made. <laughs> oh, we heard it. We'll oh, discuss okay. later. We'll discuss. We'll later. discuss okay. later. You know, I have any excuse to go film out there. I'm taking it. <laughs> no, we did go out. Uh, when was that? That was before I left for fishing. So that was back in June. Yeah, because had, I had 48 hours or 72 hours before I had to head out for fishing. We're like, let's do this. And we, we got the shoot done and edited it. And <laughs> <laughs> we went out, went camping uh, out in Lake Clark National Park. And, and, you know, the bears were already starting to move around. We, had, we probably saw 25 yeah. bears out there. And we did a little short film about it grazing on sedge grazing on sedge so yeah. we now we need to follow up we're gonna go out here <laughs> a few days and, and hopefully get some of the go out to bristol bay and actually film the the bears catching bristol bay soccer and, and that's something we talked about in that film that's so important is that bears have seasonal areas that they go to based on what food resource is available so when pebble said or the eis is only looking at three miles from their site they're impacting more than three miles because bears move you know, great distances. Where are you saying 50, 60 miles, even up to a hundred? Up to a hundred miles. So yeah, how that's extreme, but yeah, they can. How can do you that. look at how can you look at three miles away and say, ah, oh, that's fine, <laughs> that's done. So when a bear is going from sedge in the spring to salmon in the summer, you know they've got to move from place to place. Well, that's the thing about the Alaska Peninsula is is it's not all abundant all the time. <laughs> Where you know, if particularly if you're a bear who's got to do your eating you know, all you're eating in the summertime, you, you know, you might you start on the, on the Cook Inlet side and graze in these vast sedge meadows like Chinitna Bay is set up that way. And there are lots of them over on that side. But then those bears, they're, the fish runs on that side don't support that number of bears. So they'll cross over, they'll go to Bristol Bay. And then, you know, they might go someplace altogether for dessert. You know, <laughs> when those berries get ripe, then they've got to go another, you know, I'd, I'd walk 10 miles for a, some berries blueberry cobbler i saw i saw a bear and he was laying in the blueberries rolling around because there were so many mosquitoes but he has tongue hanging out and like trying to eat the blueberries well so they love berries <laughs> but they it's so many different resources in so many different areas you can't just say oh these bears stay here these bears stay here you're you're impacting bears from all over the place if you're fragmenting their habitat right and it goes right through it right through the middle <laughs> like it's well and then the other thing that so I, I've got this professional biologist who's, who's doing this analysis for us in, in bear terms, you know, looking at the EIS in bear terms. And um, so he would, we were talking about this. I was talking about this with him just the other day. You know, when they were doing a survey of denning habitat, it's all based on a single aerial survey that was done, like, during poor weather, <laughs> like... Yeah, there's no way they can have an accurate picture of the denning habitat that's right along the road corridor. And, I mean, if that's the shoddy work they're putting in on just that one aspect of it, and there there are things it covers that I don't even, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty bear-centric guy, as 
folks know. Uh, <laughs> so if they're doing that poor job on what I'm looking at, I have to be figuring that they're doing that poor a job on other things that other people are experts on. So, and everybody, it's, they're just coming out of the woodwork and everybody's shouting and saying, this is bad, this is bad. And it's just not getting listened to. Well, and, and Drew, we were talking about what's the difference when a road comes in and a port comes in, how does bear behavior change? Are these bears going to react to people differently than they do when you have a big wild area and bear viewing that has, is, is better managed and human interaction that's better managed? Well, so you guys have been bear viewing before, yep. uh, but there are probably some people who are listening that, that might not have done it yet, but it's probably on their bucket list, or it should be. Yeah, anyway. you should definitely put it on there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the reason we can do what we do here in Alaska is that these bears are habituated. Uh, not all of them, but the ones that we go view, the ones that are safe to view. And so what that is, is through a, a process of repeated benign interactions. So when these people have interacted with people, it's been in a very specific way. So small groups, well-behaved humans, uh, doing the same thing time and time again. So it gets to the point where the bears see a group of people and they say, oh, those humans are going to behave in this way. Fashion. This fashion. And so then yeah. they, they just go about their business because we're predictable. And so suddenly you throw 800 new people in the area who are under instructions to start hazing bears. And so like if a bear just walked by a group of bear viewers over here, it goes over the mountains and it runs into this port and suddenly they're shooting cracker shells and chasing it with trucks and things like that. It's going to alter the way that bear thinks about its relationship with humans. And then on top of that, uh, you have the potential for food conditioning, which is probably the scariest scenario a bear viewing guide can think of. So you've got these 800 people or so that uh, would be coming through for construction and stuff like that. And they're not necessarily bear savvy. They're going to be coming from all over outside Alaska uh, to work on this project. And once a bear associates people with or as food, it's now a dangerous bear. And so if they have access to human food via the trash, via, um, you know, people just being irresponsible, um, now you've got a bear that is in close proximity to Lake Clark National Park, to the villages of Bristol Bay, to McNeil River State Game Sanctuary, to Katmai National Park. If you've got food-conditioned bears ranging into these bear viewing areas, like, I, I don't even want to think about how dangerous that would be. You've got... Well, a and lot it, of potential problems. And in other parts of Alaska that aren't these bears that are habituated, you don't get the same interactions. These bears aren't the same everywhere. Um, in Prince William Sound, where, where my family is, you're lucky to see a bear. <laughs> <laughs> like, really lucky. <laughs> and your interaction is usually pretty, pretty brief because the bear doesn't want to be around you. It's been hazed or stuff like that. So it's, it's a whole – this is a really special area, and it's a really special – interaction that you can have with these bears it's it's like nowhere else in the world you're not going to have these encounters and just be kind of as boring as a seagull to a bear <laughs> in any other place well it, it's totally true i mean when you go to lake clark and you're on one of the tours the, what i was going to say earlier is the guide is there to to provide this really safe experience and make sure people do the same thing every time right so we're all in a group we're all tight the bear understands that. They don't look at us as food. And we don't look at them as trying to interrupt anything they're doing. You just 
observe and take photos or do whatever you're going to do. And it's a ha happy little situation, right? But that definitely will get destroyed if you get a bear that comes in and, you know, like in Colorado, a bear that gets habituated to food, it's three strikes and you're out. And sometimes it's two strikes and you're out. You know, you get one strike, you get an ear tag. The second one, they take the bear out. Well, and these jobs like bear guiding and commercial fishing, if we keep managing it well, um, they could last, you know, as, as long as we keep protecting them. But the mine has a time limit. It's not, it's not a resource that's going to keep giving. It's, it's got a time limit on it. So we're essentially giving up, you know, 14,000 jobs that Bristol Bay provides and this region provides for, you know, how many, how many jobs in the mine? 800? Well, it was, that's for construction, and then it drops way off. Like, it's not a sustained number. Because it, it is, it's a labor-intensive thing to build it, but then once it gets up and going, it would just be, you know, minimum. And then you're putting yourself at the mercy of global markets for <laughs> copper, gold, yep. and molybdenum. Um, you know, mines will, that price drops, those mines start shutting down or digging less or whatever. But ultimately, at the end, this thing's got to be maintained forever you know it's it's if you've ever been to uh the berkeley pit in butte montana you know every yeah i mean it's, it's like that only way bigger yeah <laughs> if you took all the mines in alaska and we've got some big mines um, but they're in different places that are more ecologically conducive to mining um, but if you took all the mines in alaska and put them all in one place and turned them into one big hole the pebble deposit would be eight times larger than that. Like it, it's, I mean, this is global scale we're talking about here. Yeah. Well, and mines fail. I mean, <laughs> look at Fraser River and, and the fisheries there. And, you know, fish life cycles range between three and five years. And, you know, we're starting to see the impacts of what the Fraser River mining um, leak did. <laughs> It's, 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 you're not going to see it in the first year. It's not going to be something where, you know, you might see parts of it, but as things leak, if toxins leak into the ecosystems and the salmon, you know, their eggs are affected or their fry or their alvin are affected, you're not going to see that until five years or four years later when this run's supposed to return and it's not as big. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of the mindset you have to be in is with this fish salmon fishery, you have to think long term. And that's what they do with management. They think, okay, we need this many that go up the rivers to spawn and we need this many, you know, that you can catch. But if you're putting a mine there, you're, it's, it's going to slowly, <laughs> there'll be slow impacts and people don't like, they like quick things. They like to see quick results, but it, it could be a slow, sad, <laughs> sad time. Well, and if it wasn't a case study that hasn't played out time and time again and all those salmon runs that we we're talking about all the way down. Um, I think I, I think I'm ripping this off from Mark Titus. Uh, Thanks, <laughs> Mark. Thanks, he's, a, he's a filmmaker, but he was, I was on a couple panel discussions with him and he, he was describing like the loss of a fish run as um, death by 10,000 paper cuts where. That's a really good way to. Right. So job, suddenly. Mark. <laughs> yeah, right, way to go, Mark. So like, you know, you've got this great fish run and, and suddenly you're, you, you let one company cut too close to the riparian zone. That's one paper cut. And so it might, it's not going to wipe out the run, but it's going to diminish the run. And then you, you know, start putting culverts in. 
There's another paper cut. And then it's all these little things like that that ultimately you wake up one morning and you're having to pay millions of dollars to have salmon come back. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you've taken the whole system, flipped it on its head, so now it is doing the opposite of what it's supposed to do. Like it's supposed to provide, it's supposed to nourish. And yeah, it's, it's, it's before you know it, if you don't, if you don't take care of these things, they'll just be gone. Yep. Well, and can't there just be one place that we can just leave it alone? <laughs> no, I, it's, right? it's, it's wild to think that, that we have this beautiful place that provides jobs and resources and, and amazing wildlife and habitat. And we're like, there's people out there that are like, no, mine it put it at risk and they'll they'll try to tell you that they can coexist that's one of the their favorite arguments to say is that the fisheries and everything can coexist but you know you look at it and it can't it's it's that ten thousand cut thing right because it is all those little things that just add up and it's not an immediate thing and there's gonna be that i mean there's just even if there's nothing drastic that happens you know a major leak or whatever there's all those little things. A truck wrecks and rolls off into the stream. Uh, you know, just who knows? I mean, there's going to be a, a ton of little things that will cause problems. Well, and so let's let's look at this on kind of the 10,000-foot scale here. So let's use those bears in southern Lake Clark uh, as an example. So this is an uh, economically significant population of bears and that we have a lot of bear viewers who go there. It's so like thirty-six million dollars for a bear viewing in Alaska. Is that what you said? Um, it's right around forty. Right I don't have 40. the economic report, but it's on our our website. Alaska. It's so very Bears. significant. Bears it's bringing a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and you know that's not all going into my pocket, but it gets spread around, <laughs> right? So let's let's look at those bears of Southern Lake Clark National Park, and and they do get viewed, and they bring in money just by leaving them alone. And so eleven miles to the south, you want to put the the Pebble Port and road and this so that's one pinch right they can't go that way without being disturbed anymore there's another project that nobody's going to hear about because it's on private land but it's actually in lake clark national park called johnson at johnson river johnson tract we'll call it that's on the north side of them that they'll put a mine in there and then right on the south side just across the bay you can see it if you're standing in lake clark national park they're during natural gas exploration. So here within five years, you've got three industrial projects that are just popping up. And suddenly those bears went from doing their thing and you know being viewed and contributing to the economy to boxed in by all these industrial projects. And you're going to have population declines. You're going to have... Um, Habitat fragmentation, you're going to have all the things that we've seen negatively impact bear populations around the world occurring to the bears here in Alaska, or the bears on the Alaska Peninsula. And that really is the last place, you know, we're talking about <laughs> Bristol Bay being the last great salmon run. Yeah. Well, this is the last great place to go see bears. There's a lot of last greats in, in this region. We right. are the last frontier. Is that even our motto <laughs> or something? I think it is. We are the last. And it's not just bears. There's moose. There's all kinds of other wildlife too, right? It's something like over 130 species. I think it's somewhere around there rely on salmon or, or eat salmon in, in this area. Including humans. Including humans. <laughs> 
Including me. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Almost, what, I would say 80, 90% of the Alaskan population eats salmon. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's everywhere. Yeah. And that doesn't count the lower 48. Yep. Right. It's a, it's a complex web, and there's a lot of different species that rely on salmon. You're bringing all these nutrients from the ocean, and I mean, even plants. There's plants that rely on the nutrients that the bears pull out, and the eagles pull out a carcass, and suddenly you have this great fertilizer coming in. So... I mean, it's just so much that relies on it and, and so much we could lose. You know, the old, the old saying, you know, bear shits in the woods. It's kind of a joke, but it's really important. <laughs> I mean, that's right. how they do it. Yeah. You know, does a bear shit in the woods? Yeah. And we need it to keep doing yeah, that. Yeah, we need, we need all of it. <laughs> well, and when you drag us, when a bear drags a salmon carcass up and they eat a portion of it and another bear doesn't find that that's nutrients going i mean that's it's as simple as that i was um, the first time i ever saw that and you really don't ever think about that but you're out photographing bears on a bear trip or something and you see all these dead salmon along the banks or you know it could even be 100 200 yards off out of the water those nutrients are going back. i mean it's just it is it's so important and the plants and the other animals and or you go down to the southeast where, you know, they've got all the big trees. Yeah. And, and you'll be walking along and you'll look up and you'll see a salmon that's in the tree. <laughs> just dangling just out. Just dangling because some black bear had run up there with it and didn't finish it or something. It's just right. hanging up there. Right. So they're literally in the trees. <laughs> it's amazing. So this, <clears throat> I, don't, you know, I don't know if you finished the whole thing. So how long is it from this whole corridor? What is the length so, of this development? So if you... Look at the total impacted area, like they're where they're, if you went from the mine site itself, then you've got the road corridor, then you've got the port that's going to be met by a natural gas pipeline from the Kenai Peninsula that's going to be running right through the habitat for an endangered population of beluga whales. From the Kenai Peninsula to Lake Iliamna, it's roughly 200 miles that would be impacted. And this is right through the most accessible wilderness in Alaska. Um, it's, yeah, they, they, they Pebble tries to downplay the scale of this and kind of look at it piecemeal. Oh, it's just a, you know, we're going to make a hole the size of an airport. That's it. Well, but it's going to have a 200-mile tail that goes all the way to the Kenai. And, uh, you know, people, I mean, there are all these other implications. People don't even think about it. You know, it often gets boiled down to, you know, oh, jobs or this or that. But, like, if you're, this natural gas is coming from the Kenai Peninsula. Well, if you live in Homer, and they're taking the natural gas out of the system before it gets to Homer. What's that going to do to to you and Homer? Are you going to have enough natural gas left? Because they're basically this power plant that they want to put in this remote area would be big enough to power the city of Anchorage. Like you're taking a, a, a city of Anchorage worth. And that so Anchorage has about 300,000 people. Like it's... It's huge by Alaska standards, <laughs> but maybe not maybe not other standards. But for us, it's it's big. But if you're pulling three hundred thousand people worth of natural gas out before it gets to Homer, and you're downstream of that, you should be worried about that. What What are the next steps? What do we want people to do? What can people do? What should people do? You can use your voice, right? Yep. And how so? What is that? What is that mechanism? Well, so the way that we've tried to set up to make it easiest for people is we set up a website called www.alaskabears.earth. And it talks about the bears. It talks about how it's an issue with the bears. But there's also, most importantly, there's a web portal on there where you can, we've already put some words in there, 
but you can delete those. You can say whatever you want in there. You can add to it. You can leave it how it is, whatever you want. And it will, when you hit send, it will email that to the EPA to, and to Senators uh, Murkowski and Sullivan, the two that we're trying to let know what's going on here. <laughs> and so just in under a minute, you can take a minute out of your day and submit these emails to these people and really highlight how poor the science is in regarding to, to bears. Um, you can add whatever you want. And then um, really this whole project, and you'll notice because you know, I was on here a few months ago talking about it, it's a war. It's not just like one battle. We sign a petition, nope. this thing goes away. Like it, it, it's been, well, like you said, I remember the first time I saw a pebble mine flag was when I was 14 in Bristol Bay. And that, I'm going to age myself, <laughs> 16 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's been going on forever and, and we can't give up momentum because that's what, that's what these types of things do. They try to wear the, the opposition out. They try to just keep pushing stuff in. They try to push it under the table. So just keep up to date too. And we've created an Instagram at alaskabears.earth where you can keep up to date with things and keep up to date on our website. We put social media guidelines on there. Yes. And also on there, yeah, that's our, so we've got our social media guide on there, which, you know, cause this is a, a photo centric podcast. So a lot of <laughs> photographers uh, listen to this. And so anybody that has pictures of bears, you have your own starter kit for mounting your own no pebble mine. So we give you a list of good hashtags, what to direct people to do. Um, follow on Instagram. Tell two or three of your friends about it. Yeah. Talk to them about it. Get them to send letters. Call them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> be that friend. <laughs> and, and, and let them know that what they do and, and you, when they use their voice, they're actually making a difference. Like, it, it does help. Yeah, and that's my question. What is that? What, are the, what is it going to do? What well, the will EPA it do? has the power to stop it. <clears throat> yes. So the Army Corps of Engineers is the one that did this poor analysis, and now it is in the hands of the Environmental Protection Agency to determine at any point in this process, they can step in and say no. They can veto this. They can say they can use their, their powers under the 404C, uh, clean, under the Clean Water Act, and just say no. And so we need to make sure that they know that that's what they need to do. And... Um, and then the reason we're including Senators Murkowski and Sullivan on this is because there's no more public comment. Like, we can't comment directly to the government. And so now we need our elected officials to step in and say, hey, do it. <laughs> you know, because yeah. my, my voice is now going through them. Mm-hmm. And so they need to step up. They need to shut this thing down. Who was the person from, was it West Virginia? Yep, it was West Virginia. Yeah. So call your own representatives, too. So if you're not from Alaska, it, it does not hurt. It actually helps if you're contacting your senators and you're telling them to start speaking up. Because when he came out from West Virginia saying this isn't okay, he's a Republican who, who can actually speak and can speak for people and influence other people. So I think it's important to start to bug them, call them, right? <laughs> like have that nightly phone call. Be like, hello, <laughs> have you heard about pebble mine? <laughs> well, and the, uh, the house of representatives did just pass, um, uh, some, some language that basically strips money from the pro like from the government organizations so that they can't use any money to complete this project. It's a delay. It's, it's a, a delay. It's a stall. So it's a, it's a stall for us. 
but it needs the Senate to like because it's it's just sitting out there and now it needs further action. So that's another good reason to contact your your federal delegations and say, hey, you know, look what uh, representatives DeFazio and Huffman are doing uh, in the House. And when that comes across your desk, take care of this. <laughs> and just know you're not going to talk to somebody, but just leaving an, a, a message yep. or yep. writing an email yep. is very important. And then another thing you can do if you have the means to do it is donate. We have a link up there for friends like McNeil River. Um, you can also donate to United Tribes of Bristol Bay. Um, you could get some cool sweatpants like I have from United <laughs> Tribes of Bristol Bay. We have sweatshirts from friends at McNeil River. And all of that, you get a cool outfit and you help donate and you help us be able to fund and send out the message. Um, and there's some groups that have been working on this for 15, 15 years. And, and they, they still need financial support. So if you can, if you are in the, the means to do this, please do. But if you don't have the funds to do it, submit an email. Everybody can do that. Yeah, everyone can do that. And Make it does not call. take very long. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a place where people can go to find out all the – there's got to be a site out there. and Because I just want to link to it in our show notes that where people can find phone numbers not necessarily for Alaska – but for every other state, right? Yes. And I have that link. It's up on the Friends at McNeil River one. website. Well, I'll just link so to, I that. Can get to that. Because um, I think it's important. And we do reach, you know, probably more lower 48er than lower 48ers than we do Alaskans, right? With our podcast. Well, and it's so, good for everybody to have their representatives yeah, on speed. You should be calling right, them. Right, right. <laughs> but it's, it's incredible what your voice can do. So please do call. Please do email. It doesn't take much time. Then tell your family to call an email. Tell your mom and dad. Tell your cousins, <laughs> aunts, uncles. What's the, I guess, is there, is there, I mean, can we wake up tomorrow and the EPA just says, oh, we're done. We're not going to do this. We're not going to let it pass. I have dreams about that. Like, that would be amazing. <laughs> I mean, is that potential? I mean, is that something that. You know, it's, it's a potential but it's it's not a reality unless we make it a reality. Like if if everything's just left to like do its own thing, and this is kind of rubber stamp after rubber stamp after rubber stamp, um, is they need to hear from us, and that's that's the thing that's gonna um, that's gonna influence them. And so to even keep that veto option on the table, we need to keep the the pressure up, and. Uh, and they can do it. Like we're we're in this window here before the record of decision, which time has no meaning in the pandemic. But I think they're about three <laughs> weeks left. Yeah, maybe. I think it's two or three weeks. Yeah, so it's a it's an act now. Scenario. So at that point, then what happens? Two or three weeks. So after that, there will be the record of decision issued, and and yeah. who issues that? So that would be the Army Corps of Engineers and. So how they like to work it with the Alaska portion is the, 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 the permit is issued at the same time. And now this is not the, the end. You know, they've got this first permit and there are a series of, I forget how many it is off the top of my head, but it's, it's more than a dozen um, subsequent permits that need to be secured. secured before this project can go forward. But all of them, are contingent on them getting this first permit. So <laughs> if we stop them here, 
then it just saves all kinds of time and <laughs> you, you don't have to listen money. to me then, then drew can go back into the woods <laughs> right. we can get rid of drew we can just go back can be a bear guy. oh man but yeah. i think you're so passionate about it i mean there's got there's um, probably a million other things you could put your efforts into you know right well for, I probably just want to sleep for a week. <laughs> really, at this point, it has. And, and I, you know, the folks that know me, it's it's been a bit of an obsession with me for the last, uh, well, three, two or two years now, where it's just been, you know, everything I do has has uh, had a pebble mine twist to it. Well, and and that at that point, two or three years ago, that's when you kind of there was information that came out on how badly it would hurt bears. Yeah. Isn't that correct? Yeah. yeah. I mean, because I was always opposed to Pebble Mine, as the majority of Alaskans are. But then once it starts, you know, impacting, you know, my business and my – they're not my bears. But you, but, but you can recognize, like, you can recognize bears. You know bears' personalities. Like, these are important animals for you both for your work and for just – you know, wild places, wild animals. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and these bears have, I mean, I've been doing these things for 20 years now. Like, these bears have given me so much that, like, the only reason I'm here is because of these bears. And so to not do this is not an option for me. Like, it's, I'm all in on this. Like, there is <laughs> no way that this is, is going to happen on my watch. And, you know, whether, whether it's protecting it for the next generation or whatever, you know, there are, there's any number of things you can, you can latch onto that, that should inspire action, but it might be as simple as you just like watching bears. If you're an explore.org webcam or, or you haven't made it here, you're a photographer, you haven't made it here yet. Your bucket list, you need to fight for your bucket list (laughs) because if you're waiting 10, if you're like, oh, I can save up and in 10 years go. Well, even what you guys said in the beginning, if you're watching a Disney show, if you're watching a BBC production or a Nat Geo, I mean, you're seeing these bears. It's these bears that we're talking about. Yeah. The stars of the show. I posted a picture on Instagram the other day uh, of Van from Hollow (laughs) Bay, who's a a famous bear that a lot of people know. He's a big old bear. And I had a bunch of people contact me and say, is that the bear from the the Great Great Bear Bear Stakeout, Stakeout, uh, the documentary? And I'm like, yep. That's that's him. He's big as a van. <laughs> well, and I don't think people understand that because uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you develop a when you go out to these places year after year after year, especially you guys as being in this these places, same place. You see the same bears, and you have to. I mean, they almost. I don't like giving names to these these animals, but you always do. They always have a characteristic, or they always have an yeah, I attitude. Do. I know I'm not supposed to <laughs> no. mean, but I'm all about that. <laughs> I, I do it right away. I mean, it's always like, because if you're trying to tell a, a buddy, or you're trying to t- explain, oh, I saw this bear, you can just say, you know, if it's the one that's like, we we had a bear out in Lake Clark that we call Looper. Mm-hmm. And she would just do loops around this, this <laughs> thing. So, <laughs> and I didn't name her, but I mean, but the minute you see her characteristics, you know, hey, that's Looper from 100 yards away. You just know well, her ears look like this and blah, 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 whatever, whatever the situation is. So it's just, there's just <laughs> such a connection. And it's so hard for someone that's not been here. But all I'm saying is if you're watching Disney, if you're watching BBC, you have that connection. Everybody has that connection. 
So it's so important to try to just do whatever we can do. And the thing you brought up earlier when you're talking about the Johnson track, this natural gas exploration, I mean, it's just, it's so, everything's just diminishing. I mean, if we let it all happen, then what? I mean. Then what's left? We, exactly. And it's just going to be little pockets. At, there's nothing that looks at the cumulative impacts of, so like the permit for the pebble thing, that's over here. It doesn't have to pay attention to Johnson Tract or the the gas exploration that it's all, they're all thinking they're independent of those other things when an ecosystem is all interconnected. It's all interconnected. And so suddenly you, yeah, those are the, those are the three first paper cuts in the destruction of the Alaska Peninsula. And I would call those chainsaw cuts. Because <laughs> that's not even a paper well, cut. Well, and if you've flown over Bristol, like the Bristol Bay region, it's pond after teeny pond. It's just all, like, it's amazing to see the watershed. And you have to know that it's just, these ponds aren't separate. Like, they're not separate entities that aren't affected by each other. And then you go somewhere like Lake Iliamna, <clears throat> and it's this massive lake. It's incredible. It's so cool. And it's just these, th everything's connected. And I think sometimes we forget that, but, and I think sometimes mining companies want to forget that, that everything's connected, but it really is. And you pull the string of one thing, it's going to pull the strings of 10, 20 other things. And it's so easy to just out of, out of sight, out of mind. Right. And it requires things like these podcasts or these films or whatever's being done to put that out, put that in front so that you do put, connect those things. Mm -hmm. It's so important. Fat bear week. Fat bear week. Oh, yeah. These are the fat bear week I would week like to bears. point out that I did pick Holly, so <laughs> <laughs> if I had bet on it, I would have won. <laughs> so I wonder if they have we fat need, bear week in Vegas. We need that. We need a little background there. <laughs> so fat bear week is... Uh, it's like March Madness for bears. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so they started this a few years ago. It, it, it really took off with the Explore.org webcams at Brooks Falls. And then, so people started watching these bears they're just on you go to explore.org you type in brown bear boom you can watch brown bears anytime you want doing their thing doing their thing and they're and entertaining they truly <laughs> they're are really entertaining <laughs> and so from that um uh katmai national park on their facebook page you just search for them on facebook katmai national park will pop up every year in it's october i think it's october madness they have uh they, they make brackets of the different bears and they'll put up pictures of like when they first see them at the beginning of the summer. And, and they've then, lost all that weight. They're just skinny. And they've lost all their hair. And, so yeah, then they look they even. They just look so like <laughs> right. pathetic and bedraggled. <laughs> right. And then at the end of Fat Bear Week. So you're trying to pick which bear is going to get the fattest. Oh, no, no. You, well, then they put the before and after pictures. Yeah. And then you, put, you pick the one that is the most rotund, epic you know transformation transformation and this year it was it was bear 435 holly and i had been out there just the week before fat bear week and you see this she's bear. huge she's so fat like it looked like she couldn't keep her eyes open because <laughs> they're just, just so fat and and she'd sit down a lot she wouldn't get out of the river much and she was just kind of floating around and then so you know how and she's an older bear right she's <laughs> And so when you think of females, they have as cubs based on their body condition. And I was thinking, oh, man, she's going to have like six cubs. She's going <laughs> to come back with just this brood of cubs following her. And she went the complete opposite way 
in that she didn't have six cubs. She just had one giant cub. (laughs) (laughs) So I haven't seen her in real life yet this summer. One spoiled child. (laughs) But she's got one cub of the year that looks like a yearling. Like this thing is just huge. (laughs) You know, the way I explain those fat bears too is it's like, because you're trying to explain, you you can. It's, it's, it almost looks like someone Photoshopped a bear. Like to me, like truly you look at this photo and you're like, no, there's no way. <laughs> or you look at the bear and you're like, that's, that's not real. It's like that transformation when you see someone do a Photoshop of some person and they make them perfect, right? Only this, they're making a bear just... What I, I say it's perfect. I yeah. say, Holly, you rock. You look great at the end of the season. <laughs> I say it looks like they plugged a, a bicycle pump into a bear and then you just sat there and you just overpumped it. Yeah. And so, it's just like, oh, it's a cartoon. It's or so like great. It's just, it, but it, it, that's the potential the bears have with the habitat. Like that is the testament to the habitat. Right and there. a testament yeah. that says we're going to have bears forever. Yep. Yeah. Right. If we or just it. one giant bear. <laughs> <laughs> one massive, one massive child. Megalodon <laughs> bear. <laughs> the cave bear. <laughs> All right. So what we want to do is we want to get people to go to the web, go to alaskabears.earth. www.alaskabears.earth and you're going to email the EPA you're going to email the senators and you're going to follow at alaskabears.earth on Instagram for updates and anybody can do that even if you're not an Alaska resident you can do that we have an international option (laughs) yes because people from other states (laughs) we call them from outside no so if you're from the United States and you go on uh, you click on the normal link there that says take action and then these bears, I've gotten such a response from the international community because it's it's so I I get so many messages and emails being like, um, excuse me, you aren't giving me a voice, and I'm like, okay, so, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> so Drew Drew took action. We listened, and yep. so we created uh, a link uh, that says international options. So if you're listening from outside the United States, uh, you can click on that, and you can basically submit. Um, the same way, but it's it's worded a little different, and so um, so yeah, I mean, because this is these this these bears are a global resource. People come from all over the world to uh, to see these. People. And every voice matters. Yeah, and every voice matters. Every voice matters. So that's the most important way to do it. But also connect or contact through the link that I'll put on. I'll link to your site that has all the numbers for everybody. You can contact your own people in your own state. And do that. I mean, do that in addition to it's that. Just do it all. I mean, it's going to take 10 minutes. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. 10 minutes out of your day just to, you know, and you can do more. Like you yep. said, with the social media. Yep. And it's awesome to spread the word to your friends because, you know, you're going to reach a different audience than we're going to have. So the more people that know, the better. Okay. So this podcast is actually going out tomorrow. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Because we wanted to go out quick. Uh-huh. But let's I just like this give, quick turnaround. Yeah. That's what I'm going to be doing all, all night is editing a podcast. That was me on the video. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Drew, it's 2, 3 a.m. Is this okay? And then he's like, Aaron, you spelled this wrong. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Well, explain that video real quick before I go into that you point. Talk let's about talk it. about that. The, the video that we made when yeah. we ran out. Yeah. Yeah, so we we had a quick turnaround, <laughs> but it's really just an introduction to Drew as a bear guide and kind of taking you on a virtual bear tour, and then him explaining like 
what what what's going to happen to these bears? What does Pebble Mine threaten? So our hope is that it kind of takes you on this virtual tour and shows you what it's like to be in the field with bears. And, you know, right now not many people can get here, but we can at least try to show you. And that's on alaskabears.org too. It's important to recognize that that was shot in like less than 24 Wee. hours. So that's how many bears we were able to get in a very short period of time. And that's pretty incredible because sometimes I sit for like two months trying to get one <laughs> shot of an animal. So, <laughs> Well, not only was it shot in 24 hours, but we had some downtime. We enjoyed it. We had fun out there. We too. did. Like we, we had were a hanging good time. Out. Right? Yeah. It wasn't even a stressful 24 hours. So it was no. fun. you guys said you went to Lake Clark to do that. Mm -hmm. Did you just camp over there by the ranger cabin or did um, you? what no. did you do? Well, I uh, I used to work there at uh, uh, Silver camp. Salmon. No, around the corner uh, at Great Alaska's Bear Camp. Okay, and so I used that's where I got my start with bears and that old uh, homestead, and so they're not operating this summer. So I called them up and we were able to use their private property oh, cool. as a base. <laughs> thank so you just, to them. Too. Thank you, yeah, thank you to Great Alaska. Thank you to them. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so it was. We had great weather. Well. We had great weather. Really hot, and sunny weather. <laughs> it, it really, it, it all kind of just came together. Because if it, it didn't happen, then it wasn't Yeah, it is pretty incredible to think in that short period we saw so many bears. And that's, again, I mean, we can't say it enough. It's such a special area, and you're never going to see bears like you see on the Peninsula. And this Alaska year Peninsula. was it? I usually go to Lake Clark just about every year, but this year I didn't. And this year was pretty awesome out there, too, right? Yeah. You know, lots of cubs and lots of just yeah. different things going yeah. on, right? It was pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, the bears are, you know, they're, they're doing their thing regardless of what, what's what, going on. in the like rest We're caught of the up world. in all our politics and stuff like that. And, and the if they bears. could know, if they could know what they're doing, what we're doing, they would be very thankful. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Except for maybe talking about how fat they get. They might not appreciate that as much. <laughs> but maybe that's a badge of honor. That is probably. You know, in their I culture, that as a badge maybe of they, they, uh -huh. that's more like Holly, the, you queen. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to have to put a link into Holly. On, there's yeah. got to be links to that where I can show that bear, right? There's a bunch of great uh, Fat Bear Week coverage going back several years on, uh, on Mashable. Oh, okay. mm -hmm. And so uh, Mark Kaufman uh, is passionate about bears and he likes writing about Fat Bear Week. And so he's got a bunch like he, he does coverage of Fat Bear Week every yeah, year. If you thought you liked Shark Week, this is whole next level. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry to all my friends that film sharks. But <laughs> <laughs> OK, before we go, let's talk about what our plan is on. What is it? The fifth or the sixth? The fifth. The fifth. Let's just, since yeah. this is going out tomorrow uh -huh. and people are going to listen to this podcast, don't miss the next podcast because. Because since we have all had our negative COVID tests and we have masks and we're going to do this in a socially responsible way, we are going to go bear viewing in Katmai. So we're going to go out. We're going to do another wild and exposed. We're going to get some footage of bears fishing for Bristol Bay salmon and we're going to bring it to you. So stay tuned. We'll have some great updates from the field. And I think, Aaron, you talked about what we could do with that, right? We, we're going to try to put you in the place. We're going to try to just be that Garrison Keeler type <laughs> narrative type. Uh, Minus the breathing right into the microphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we won't be at Lake Wobegon. No, no. No. Yeah. We, we are going to be at one of the most. It's one of my favorite places uh, to go bear viewing. And we'll keep an update. I mean, we'll update the stories on Alaska Bears Earth um, Instagram. So mm -hmm. you can kind of join along. Drew did one the last time we went out, and it was really cool. Oh, and then um, Acacia Johnson is going to do a, a takeover 
yep. uh, for us here. So that's really exciting. We've got National Geographic photographer Acacia Johnson uh, going to be contributing some stuff to Alaska Bears Daughter. Yeah. So come join. Join along. It's a fun <laughs> yeah. community, and we want you to be there. <laughs> and we want your help. Yep. Yes. Most importantly. Yep. Help us to help you. Yes. <laughs> help us to make it a cool, save a cool place. Yeah. And that maybe should be one safe day you forever. can join us out here. <laughs> and then after that, we'll cure coronavirus. Yeah. And save the world. Yep. <laughs> one step at a time. <laughs> I'm not stressed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to leave it. Let's yeah. just leave it right there. Thank there you go. so much for having us. Oh, thanks. For, I mean, you guys are like wind-up toys. It was just so awesome. I was like, <laughs> maybe I should say something. No, I don't need to. You guys had it just under wait, control. Just wait till you're out with the bears with us. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's going to be... I'm. What can we expect? I mean, what? So, what? We're August. Max 3rd. has been there recently. I guess we don't need to talk into the headsets anymore. Well, I'm, uh, we might put it on. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> just give Drew's us a snapshot. Distracted. Well, so, so we're gonna see bears. bears. We're gonna see salmon. We're gonna take you to a whole wonderful place. So th- this whole place, we're going out to um, Katmai, and it's gonna be. We're gonna land at one lake. And then we're going to walk across the tundra down into the salmon stream. And then we're going to get picked up at another lake. So it's going to be kind of this mission to, to cover some. Well, we will cover some ground that day. We're probably going to walk four or five miles. And um, so we'll just kind of, you're basically, you, you start, you're looking down and you see all the red salmon in the river, just like your imagination wants it to be. And you start to pick out the bears moving around and we'll, we'll, See if we see bears we know. I'm really looking forward to uh, looking for some familiar faces because this will be the first time I'm making it out to Katmai this year. And then, um, yeah, we'll get down in the river, get some get some good shots, and do a podcast. And and it's just, you know, especially this year, I think everybody's feeling so kind of contained or just stuck. Or, helpless, too. Yeah. And so, like, go, yeah, we want you to take action. We want you to do this stuff. But we also want to get you out of your get you out of your shell, you know, let's go, let's go see some bears. Let's go. If we can, if we can do this for you, we will go ahead and, you know, we'll bite the bullet. <laughs> I'll, we, we, I'll make we, this sacrifice. <laughs> we will go bear viewing <laughs> for you. <laughs> Perfect. We'll leave it right there. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in town. Mm -mm. Round and round the world we'll go.